Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Good morning, everyone. You doing well? Thanks, worship team. Thanks, Andrew. Welcome to our online viewers as well, our community online. It's great to have you with us today. Hey, we're really excited to be starting a brand new series of messages entitled The Space Between. And uh, over the course of these next several weeks, we're going to be talking about, are uh, diving into the topic of worship. What does it mean? How do we engage with that? You know, here's just a little window, like behind the curtain as we're developing sermon series. Just so you know, sometimes we get a name for a series that's like, it just feels inspired in prayer. It just like, feels like the Holy Spirit speaks. And then other times it happens in more spooky ways. And uh, this week we were, we've been developing this series, but we didn't have a name yet. Like it just, we hadn't figured it out. And we were, had a quick conversation, I think, in the cafe one morning. And later that day, Pastor Ben and I were in his truck. We were driving to a meeting. And we were listening to that song that we were just playing. And it has that line, the space between, a few times. I kid you not, this is what happened. That line, the space between, was sung. Immediately, phone call. It's Pastor Emma. She calls, speakerphone in the truck. She says, hey, what do you think about the name, the space between, for the worship series? Dan suggested it. Emma passed the message on. I looked at Ben. I said, I think we have to name it this. <laughs> this is spooky how this happened. So sometimes that's how the names happen. Just a little window into how that works from time to time. We want to talk about worship over the next few weeks. Obviously, worship is a big part of what we do and who we are as a community of believers. But worship is not just what happens in these minutes we have together on a Sunday morning. What happens in these spaces, in our gatherings, when we sing together, they're important. It's a very like, vital aspect of our worship life. But what we want to do over these weeks is try to develop a more holistic picture and view of what it means for us not just to worship, but to be worshipers. What does that look like? How do we develop that in our own life? And we really have a sense and we're excited about what we believe God wants to do and shape in us as a congregation over these coming weeks as we journey together through this topic. And at the very outset, I want to encourage all of us that, that to allow God as a church community to transform and form us in a, in a growing way in our worship. Worship is one of those things that, that we all do but we want to grow in the way that we do it both individually and collectively as a community. So much of what we do as followers of Jesus flows from a heart of worship. And we want, but maybe more than want, we need to be people who know how to worship from the inside out. We don't want to be known as worshipers in the sense that it's just like, hey, they have a style in the way that they do church, but we want to be known as people whose hearts and lives are surrendered to Jesus in genuine, passionate, and expectant worship all the time. And that's what we're going to journey towards together over these coming weeks. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. And we thank you for the things that you do in spaces like this. Of course, this is not the only place that you move. This is not the only place that you speak. This is not the only place you do work in our lives, but there's something unique that happens in these gathered moments. 
And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you come and you speak and you do work in our hearts and you do work in us as a community together. We give you this space. We give you our attention. Speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start this morning by asking you a very simple question. Really, really simple to start. The question is this, is what is your purpose in life? I was kidding about it being simple. I think that joke went over our heads first. That's okay. Why do you exist? Why are you here taking up oxygen on planet Earth? And as you answer that question, the next question I would have is, how do you know that that's right? How do you know what your purpose is? Where do you go to try and find answers to that question? See, it's a question that's huge, but I think it's a question that every single person is asking in some way, shape, or form. Why am I here? I think all of us in the room, all of us online, we're asking ourselves that question. Every person you know is asking themselves that question. Every person you walk past on the street is asking themselves this question. And we spend a great deal of time and energy and resource trying to discover what our purpose is, don't we? We're all ask, asking that question. We're all trying to find the answer. Why am I here? Because it doesn't satisfy just to know that we are here, right? Like, like it, just to be here, it, it's not enough. There's a sense in the human heart that we got to have something more than just being here. Like, there's got to be a greater purpose. There's got to be something more than just existing. Why matters to us. And human beings, we go to all kinds of pursuits to try and discover and find that purpose for our life. We get educated. We travel. We try and have new experiences. We develop new relationships. We search out philosophies and new philosophies about life. We build careers. We start new careers. We buy new cars and homes and outfits and all of these things in an attempt to try to find an answer to that question. And so often that the motivating factor or a large motivator in all of these things that we do in our life is an attempt to answer that question. What is my purpose? You know, the Christian story understands that we have these questions and actually has a very good answer to the question of why am I here? What is my purpose? The Christian story says that we actually all share a purpose that is one and the same. And the whole story, the whole story that God has been writing points us to the answer of this question. But we see it all the way back in the beginning. When we go to the beginning of the story, we get a glimpse into the purpose of all of creation. We get a glimpse into the purpose of everything and then we get to see an idea of how human beings were meant to function in God's good creation. If you go to the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating. God was not created in this story. God always was. And he see him creating and he says, let there be light and there's light and he makes the land and the sea he creates the sun, moon, and stars, the fish, and the animals, all that we know. And when he finished his creating, 
and he stepped back and looked at all that he had made. He made a declaration over it. He said, it is good. What I've made is good. Everything was as it was intended to be. But at the pinnacle of his creation, he created human beings, men and women. And here's how it reads in the story. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all of the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God looks at everything he created, and he says, it is good. But there was a unique creation, and that was human beings, Adam and Eve. They were unique in all of God's creation because it was them and only them who were created in the image of God created in his image. Human beings were designed to reflect the nature of God back to his creation. That's what it means for us to be made in the image of God. We reflect back. We were made to reflect and carry parts of God's unique nature. Think of it like a mirror. Like we were meant to be a mirror reflecting back to the world what we behold in God. Nothing else in God's creation was given that privilege except human beings. All of it was good, but only men and women were given the image of God. They were made in the image of God, but what is that, how does that speak to their purpose? They were given jobs to do. Name the animals. Care for them. Have dominion over the earth. Take what was in Eden and expand it and take the resources and create. Like That's part of what it means to be in the, in the image of God. They were meant to fill the earth. But what was their purpose? That was their job. What was their purpose? God's purpose in creating Adam and Eve and all of humanity is summed up in what they could uniquely do for God that nothing else in all of creation could do. Human beings are the only thing in God's creation that can give him worship. Men and women are the only things in God's creation that can give him worship. And this is our unique purpose as image bearers of God, is to worship him. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. Now, someone might say, Jason, like, doesn't all of creation worship God in a sense? The answer is yes. Like all of creation points us to the creator. All of creation speaks of a creator God. But human beings are the only ones in all creation that can give worship as a gift to God. You and I can give God worship out of our free will as an expression of love and adoration. 
this reflex or this compulsion to worship is birthed through revelation and relationship with God. Nothing else in creation has that privilege along with us. Adam and Eve in the beginning were given the unique privilege in the garden. And that was to have fellowship with God, to have a relationship with God that overflowed into worship. The Christian story answers the question of purpose with this answer. You and I, human beings, made in the image of God, were made to worship Him. Boil it all down. We might have different work. We have different pursuits and passions. We have different skill sets. We will do different things in our life. But if you boil it all down, our common purpose is to worship God. It's what we were made to do. We were made to worship God and enjoy Him forever. That is our shared purpose. Every one of us in the room, you were made to worship. And the truth is, we all do worship. The question is never, do I worship? The question is always, what do I worship? Or who do I worship? You can't help but worship. I can't help but worship. It is wired into who I am as a human being. We can't help it. But what does it mean to worship? To worship is to hold something in the highest allegiance. To worship is to, to have something that holds your deepest affection, the deepest affections of your heart. That's the thing that you worship. And worship takes on all kinds of shapes and forms. But the object of Christian worship is Jesus. The object of our worship as Christians is Christ. True worship is to have our character captivated by His. It's the constant posture of our heart that we often describe with words like awe and wonder and adoration and devotion and surrender and obedience. Worship has two dimensions to it, if I can, like, in a simple form. There's private and public or corporate worship. Private worship is focused on deepening or developing our own intimacy with Christ. It looks like prayer and meditation and scripture reading and singing praise and reflection and processing and giving and generosity and obedience and revelation. And it's these kinds of practices of worship They're the major components of the sanctification process that is led by the Holy Spirit in us, all with the purpose of making us more like Jesus, to helping us become an accurate reflection of Jesus to the world around us. That's private worship. But then there's public or corporate worship, like what we were doing here together. Public worship is focused on the edification of the body of Christ and the proclamation of Jesus to the world. It looks like praying and reading and teaching of the scripture. It looks like missions and outreach and declaration of God's character through singing and praise. It looks like giving and generosity. It also looks like the resourcing of gospel initiatives and actions such as advocacy and education and medical care and inheritance, both spiritual and physical. Public worship and practices deal with spiritual reconciliation where my private worship focuses on my reconciliation to the father public worship focuses on reconciliation to one another and the world through jesus 
Christian worship is not only private, nor is it only public. Christian worship is both. We need both private worship that's growing and developing in our life, and we need public worship, like what we do when we gather here on Sundays and in different times in, in our week where we're together worshiping God. Each dimension is needed and gives strength to the other. But all of us have a problem with our worship. We all do. We don't have a problem with worship itself. That comes more naturally than we might think. The problem is we all suffer. The problem we all suffer from is that we were designed to worship God, but we constantly worship other things. That's the problem we all have. We're designed to worship God, but we worship lesser things. We suffer from disordered worship that ultimately is the cause, the root cause of all the problems we experience in life. See, in the beginning, in the garden, Adam and Eve experienced their true purpose, unencumbered, unencumbered, this true purpose. There was perfect harmony between them and God and all of creation. But Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent. They rebelled against God's commands and his purpose for them. We read about this in Genesis chapter 3. And when they did, that harmony and fellowship that they once experienced was broken. Their ability to worship remained intact, but their worship became disordered. This first event of rebellion against God, we often refer to it as the fall, the fall of man. This is when sin entered the story. So when sin entered the human story, and it's here that we see so much is broken in the world. We see God's good creation is now fractured and fragmented from what it was originally designed and created to be. And we trace a lot of problems back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. We trace things like hatred and conflict among humanity and sickness, and brokenness, and greed, and selfishness. It just place anything broken about the world. We trace it back to this moment. We trace it back to the fall of man, where we rebelled against God and his ways, and sin entered, and things were broken. But all of these things, as bad as they are, are not actually the most tragic thing that happened as a result of the fall. The deepest tragedy of the fall is that human beings lost their true purpose. This disorder that took place was so deep that we forgot who we were, we forgot who we belonged to, and we forgot what we were ultimately created to do. We lost our purpose. An author called, a pastor named A.W. Tozer calls what happened as a result of the fall spiritual amnesia. It was at this moment that Adam and Eve saw themselves in a different kind of light for the first time. They saw their nakedness and it led to a deep and profound disorientation. They felt sensations of shame and guilt and fear and all of these things that they had never known before. And you'll notice as you read the story what their first response was when they found themselves in this disorientation. In Genesis 3 verse 7 it says, Then they... Then the, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Their first response was to try to cover up. Their, their first response was to try to deal with the external things. 
Because disordered worship is consumed with the outward condition only. Disordered worship is all about what is on the outside. It's obsessed with what you can see on the external, but it fails to address what's going on on the inside. And we see this because as you read on in the story, God comes like he often did to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. Like this is what was intended to be. And he didn't find them there. Of course God knew where they were, but you see how he engages with them as human beings. And he asks the question, where are you? Where are you? You were meant to be here. You were meant to do this. Where are you now? And Adam and Eve, in shame, they come out from where they were hiding and they admit their rebellion. But their next response is to make other people the problem, to blame their external problems on others. Adam says, it was the woman you gave me. Eve says, it was the serpent. It was his fault. It was all external. It was all outside of them. They forgot their purpose. And all that remained was what was on the outside. But even after the fall, humanity did not stop worshiping. Because we can't help but worship. But because our own value system was disordered by this sinful nature, what we chose to worship was broken, disordered, disoriented. In our disorder, we try and replace eternal with temporal. And we worship lesser things because we're trying desperately to regain that sense of purpose that we lost. How do we do that? Like, how do we as, as human beings try, worship lesser things in trying to find our purpose? Well, some try and regain their purpose through work, through what they do. We've tried to find our purpose and identity in our career and what we can make with our hands. And, and we, we attach our purpose, our identity to the things that we can do. It's external. We're constantly trying to make our job or our career give us that sense of purpose that humanity has lost. Now, work is not a bad thing. Work is a very good thing. It's part of what makes us human is to do work. But what we do will never give us the purpose we were designed for. You can have the best career ever. You can kill it in your career. You can rise the ranks. It will not give you the purpose you long for. Not a bad thing. But it's not good enough to hold your worship. Others try and regain their purpose through education. We think, if I can just acquire enough knowledge, then I'll find my purpose in life. If I can just know enough things. And again, education is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. But all the knowledge we attain means nothing when we die. It's here and now. It won't give you the purpose you desire. Some try and regain their purpose through relationships. I see this so often. We, we put a weight on relationships that they were just never meant to bear. We were made to function in relationship. But no relationship, whether that be with a spouse, a friend, a sibling, a parent, or a child, can bear the weight of trying to attach per, your purpose to it. N none of those relationships can bear the weight of trying to, to assign your identity to that relationship. Relationships are essential, but they're poor objects of our worship. Some try and regain their purpose through pleasure. 
There's so many philosophies in the world that suggest our greatest aim in life is to just find what gives you pleasure and do as much of that as you can until you die. And so many people live their life chasing pleasure in every place they think they might be able to find it, hoping it'll satisfy deep longings in their heart. But every earthly pleasure will pass away. Every earthly pleasure is temporary. God made pleasure. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful part of life. But all the pleasure in the world cannot tell you who you were meant to be in the world. Can't answer the question of why am I here? Some try and regain their purpose through thrills. Many have concluded that thrills are the only way of living life. A life worth living for is found in as much thrill as possible. And so you're constantly trying to find the next one. The problem with thrills is that the next one has to be better than the one before. I've experienced this much thrill. Now I need more. I need more. And it's a never-ending pursuit that often leaves us emptier than when we started. Thrills are a great part of life. They cannot give you the purpose you were looking for. This list could go on and on and on. These external things that we now give worship to in an attempt to try to answer that question, why am I here? What is life about? Who am I supposed to be? It's external disordered worship. Our purpose as human beings is tied to worship. And because we suffer from spiritual amnesia, we're constantly looking for that thing that will give us our purpose. And we often, in this disorder, take God's good gifts and worship them as God. But they'll never satisfy. They'll never answer the question. Because when we forgot who we were and who we belonged to and why we were put here, things become disoriented in our heart. And as hard as we try, these other things cannot answer that question for you. They will always fall short. The greatest tragedy of the fall was that humanity became plagued with spiritual amnesia. We forgot who we were. We forgot who we were made to worship. We never stopped worshiping, but our worship is now disordered. Worship team, you can get ready to join me as we prepare to close. So here's the question. We have disordered worship. How do we then regain our purpose as human beings? How do we regain our purpose as worshipers? Here's the very good news in all of this. Is that the story doesn't end with the fall. The story of God that he's writing doesn't end in our disorientation. Yes, as humanity, we've been searching for our purpose since we lost it. But thankfully, God has not left us without help. Rather than leaving us to try and restore our true purpose in our own strength, and rather than sitting back in anger because of all of our shortcomings, God wrote a new chapter in the story. And in this chapter, God himself enters in the most intimate of ways with the purpose of redeeming what had been lost, with the purpose of restoring what had been broken, with the purpose of bringing back into order what had become disordered, in us. This is what I love about the Christian story. The Christian story actually helps us make sense of everything. The Christian story gives us an answer to why are we here? What are we ultimately here to do? 
The Christian story helps answer the question of like, what went wrong with the world? I love this about the story that God is writing is that the story doesn't say that we have to pretend like everything's good. Like the world, there's brokenness in the world. It has an answer for why, but it doesn't even stop there. The story includes and helps us understand how God restores what has been broken. And it even gives us a vision for how he will renew all things. It restores our vision. God renews what was broken in the fall by sending his son Jesus to redeem us. The purpose of redemption is to restore us back to God again. Because sin brought separation. But it also restores the image we were made to reflect in the world. In other words... Redemption restores our purpose and our identity. Our purpose to worship God and enjoy Him forever. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what we celebrated last week on Easter Sunday. That Jesus took our place. He took on our sin and our shame. And He's restoring things that have been broken. But what I love about the story is that Jesus doesn't just cover our mistakes. He doesn't just say, okay, I'll, I'll deal with those things and you can go and figure it out now. The cross completely restores all things and returns us to our original purpose. You were made to worship. You were made to know God. You were made to have fellowship with him. You were made to be a reflection of him to the world around you. You were made to worship. Do you know we don't worship just because Jesus saved us? Like that's not the core motivator. Worship is not only a response of gratitude to what Jesus has done for us. That, that's important. And that is our reason to worship. But we worship because we were made to. We worship because that's our purpose. Jesus saved us to restore us to that original purpose. We were made to worship God. And for us to properly understand what Jesus achieved in relation to our salvation and reordering our worship, we're going to take a trip over the next few weeks through the story of Scripture. Next week, we're going to look at the Old Testament worship. What does that point to? What is that? What, where, where was it sufficient and insufficient? We're going to talk about those things. And we're going to look to the new covenant and how do we now worship in this new way. And we're even going to look ahead to what the future looks like as we'll worship in the kingdom. God has laid in his work with beautiful detail in relation to worship, to sacrifice and redemption, all of which are connected to our full purpose being restored. So this morning I want to ask you to stand with me. As we begin to, to end and we're going to respond in worship, you may have guessed that. I want to read a quote from A.W. Tozer that I think summarizes so much of this. He says this, Worship is man's full reason for existence. Worship is why we are born and why we are born again. Worship is the reason for our genesis in the first place and our regenesis that we call regeneration. Worship is why there is a church, the assembly of the redeemed in the first place every Christian church and every country across the world and every generation exists to worship God first, 
not second, not tacking worship at the end of our service as an afterthought, but rather to worship God primarily with everything else coming in second at best. Worshiping God is our first call. Before anything else, we're made to worship God. We all struggle with disordered worship at some level. But today, if you've been redeemed by Jesus, this morning you can choose to live out your true purpose and you can worship. Is worship more than singing in services like this? Yes, of course, but worship is not less than this. Worship is never less than what happens in these moments together. Of course it's more. But what happens here is important. The Bible teaches us that day and night and night and day, worship is happening in heaven. That songs are being sung all the time. And when we worship together, we participate in what's always happening in heaven. We get to be part of that. We get to enter into that. Worship is not for our entertainment. Worship is not so that we, the hoping the right songs are played so that we feel something. Worship is about entering into something that's always been happening. It's our purpose. It's what you were made to do. And so as we respond this morning, I want to encourage you to worship. We're going to sing one of these songs that we've, we sung earlier that set our attention on God and who He is. And I want to be careful with what I'm about to say, but I want to encourage you. I don't think your expression of worship needs to look like somebody else's. But can I ask you to stretch yourself a little bit? You don't have to look like someone else. But if, if you're giving something your worship and your adoration and your praise... I don't think it'll always look like this. Okay. I'm not asking you to be somebody you're not. And it has far more to do with what's going on in your heart. But if you're like me, sometimes my heart is wandering and it's all over the place. And I need to make a decision to say, I'm going to worship. I'm going to engage my whole body in this. That's why we clap and we raise our hands and we sing is because... God wants our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of it. So can I encourage you to stretch yourself just a little bit, to push in, to lean in? Before we begin, the first thing is we just need to acknowledge that we were made to worship. That's what we were made to do. That's your highest purpose on earth, is to worship God. But maybe if you just close your eyes for a minute, just to reflect in your own heart. Perhaps we just need to confess the ways that your worship has become disordered. But maybe somewhere in that list, you're like, oh man, it's my work, it's relationships, it's whatever. If you know today, like this is the thing, why don't you just in your own heart confess that to God? Say, God, here's where my worship is disordered. He's not angry. He wants to reorder it today. So we acknowledge we're made for this. We confess where it's become disordered. 
I want to encourage you as we respond for some moments today to enter in. To enter in. Not by your own strength, not by your own goodness, not by your own track record. None of us are worthy if that's what we're bringing to the table. We enter in through Jesus. We enter in through his sacrifice. We enter in because he made a way. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We were made to worship. And I pray in these moments that we have of response, that you would come and we would encounter your presence. God, make us and reorder our worship where it's become disordered, God. Point it out and reorder it. Return us to our purpose as human beings to worship God and to enjoy you forever. We give you this space and this time. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.